0: I'm Justin Nota. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. On episode two, we're going to be going over how rates are calculated in Canada. We're going to dip a little bit into the subprime crisis, and then we're going to go back in the day and figure out how rates were given and what conversations were had between brokers and clients before
1: insured, insurable, and conventional even became a thing. So you mathletes, get ready to nerd out because I'm going to go real deep on interest rates.
0: let's leave where we've both come from a little bit behind us now and think of where we are right now. So what made you, I know what made me and I'll get into it after you, but what made you want to do this podcast? Like what, what was your drive behind wanting to take the time out of your extremely busy day? I know I've seen your calendar. (laughs) Um, And put this together, take two, three, four, six hours a week, put it together and really be able to put this information out there. Not necessarily what we're talking about today, because today's kind of focusing more about me and you and why we're doing stuff and where we came from. But, you know, in the future, we're going to be talking about all the interesting ways to get deals done, how to underwrite process, compliance, right? Everything that kind of goes from owning a team to owning a brokerage, to being a broker, to being an underwriter and kind of putting it into one place. But what was your drive as someone as busy as you are um, in order to even take this step?
1: Yeah, good question. I think my fascination with seeing how other people do things and understanding their best practices. And it's very interesting because what you end up finding is that even though a lot of people have great ideas, only five or 10% of those ideas are implemented by by each of us when you hear about it or even implementable. And so another broker might have a great strategy for marketing or great strategy for this or for that you only have a certain number of days and, and hours in the, in the week, right And so you have to look at what marketing strategy or what system works best for me, my team, my approach, um, the the way that I like to do things. Um, but over time, like over my career, I've always been really in, into interviewing and asking other brokers how they do things, and then I, you know, looking for a platform to share that information was always very interesting to me. And as from a personal perspective, I'm just very keen on talking to some of the best people in the business and learning more from them about how how things work. And the other part of it too is, you know, I I kind of miss this part in my story, but I did co-own the broker, so I actually became a partner. Um, with my initial boss uh, or bosses. And we actually were running that brokerage together. And so I have been a broker owner since I think 2015. But one of the things I noticed in this business is the training sucks. It really does. (laughs) Doesn't it? You know? It does. Like how many times have you gone to a new company and it's like, okay. Like my training when I first started training people was, okay, come shadow me and write down what I do. And then that's going to be my framework for when I hire the next person and then the next person I'm going to like, okay, so here are the notes from the last person and they look at them and like, kind of stare like, okay, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Okay. So I want you to improve it because you're going to do better. (laughs) So you're going to watch me do it. And then when there's something that's different, you're going to change it. And then that's going to be the training manual for the next person. Right? Like the training is not very good. I think the training needs to be way better in the industry. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm, I guess, I'm trying to do here is um, is try to take this information and just expand it. And I, you know, I don't want to just do it for our 50 agents inside of Origin. You know, um, to go down this path, I, I just feel like um, as a broker that's been doing it for for as long as we we have now, Justin, it's important to give back. You know, podcasts didn't exist when I was a brand new agent. I would have gobbled a podcast like this up. Like, oh man, <laughs> you know, watching a YouTube video to learn more about how I can do this or that. And and hey, I really need to work on a marketing strategy. What are the different marketing strategies? Oh, great. There's like a podcast or or a YouTube video or a couple of YouTube videos to show a couple of different examples and different ways and approaches of doing it. Like I wish this information was around when I was a newer agent and building my business. And and you got it from talking to different brokers and kind of picking their brain. But some people in Canada, um, don't have that ability. You know, if you're in a small town in Alberta or Saskatchewan or whatever, and you're listening to this podcast and you don't really have that network of people, or it's just too expensive time and money wise to like fly in to visit other top brokers and get their time, it's difficult. And so I think that just trying to make this information more freely, freely available and, um, and just try to get great information and content, mostly on how to get deals done. Underwriting is sales. I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. You'll be like, oh, God, here comes Kyle saying the underwriting of sales we'll again. Get I little, get it. We'll get you a hat. <laughs> yeah, every, exactly. Every right? time you say it, you
0: have to put on the hat.
1: So, yeah, that I guess that would be my why. And um, awesome. and obviously bringing you on board, Justin, I mean, other than your, um, your sexy personality and that sexy radio voice of yours, I tell you. Thank you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I need somebody that can do all the scripted radio stuff on my podcast. It's like, who... Who better than Justin? I
0: bet he can do it. Yeah, yeah. That's my only power. That's my superpower. It's <laughs> Your people only. and radio
1: voice. Yeah. <laughs> so thank
0: you for keying in on that. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. You're but
0: welcome. Yeah, my my role, as he said, and I'm going to keep pushing the fact that we have such a different background, that we yep. have such a different route that we've taken to get here. Mine is more of a, like a personal people type reason in the fact that um, when I gave up the brokerage and we gave up ownership, I had to move to British Columbia and I had to learn how to underwrite. I had to learn how to underwrite because all my clients are in Alberta. All my new clients are in BC and BC is so different than Alberta, right? There's credit unions. Now all of a sudden I'm getting more B deals. I'm getting private lenders that I have no idea who they are. So in order to get that, I had to leave home. I had to go, right? I worked, I had to go, I moved back home and worked for a brokerage in Alberta for a little while, right? I was, I was living in Salmon Arm at the time um, and I was doing constant trips out to Vancouver to, you know, meet with this prospective broker and underwriting over here for a week so that I'm in house for a little bit bit, right? And I was giving up time with my wife and my kid. And so that's what I want to prevent anybody else from having to do. Right? I want them to have a place that they can go, um, whether it's in our, our community through Facebook where they can you know, access us and ask us questions, um, whether it's listening to this and being able to eventually filter through all the episodes and being like, oh, well, there's one on process and I really want to improve my process, or I really don't know how to read a T1 general. So let's look through here and find it there, right? As you said, improving ourselves inside Origin is wonderful and I love everybody there, but improving the brokerage as a whole, I think, or the pardon me, the industry, the brokering industry as a whole um, is kind of the key that. That I'm taking. So again, it's that that drive that we both have to help people, but it's that that personal compared to that numbers brain, right? Where it's, you know, I think it's gonna be an excellent value for everybody and hope everyone can take a little bit away kind of from both of us.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think we're we're gonna have a different approach on the on the same thing. You're gonna be not that I'm not humane, but I'm I'm more no, no. Uh, you know, I'm more of a business approach Absolutely. and more of a systems approach. And, and it's different because that's the way that my brain goes, yep. right? The logic, how do you do this more efficiently over and over and over again? Um, hey, get me on the phone. I'll I'm a chameleon, you know, like we'll work oh, with the with the client. But at the same time too, I think that the high level approach of how we do it not every broker is going to be aligned with my approach of having a system and a process and all that kind of stuff. Because if you're a one man show, yep. that's a lot of time to to create or invent that. And then for for what it's it's one thing to imp- improve your own system and approach. But when you're building a team, that's where it becomes a lot more relevant. And we'll obviously talk about that in future podcasts. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So one of the things that I, again, wanted to touch on is kind of what we're going to be doing in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I know that you mentioned a little bit before about your processes and we keep bringing up your systems and whatnot. Um, but if you wanted to touch on a couple things that you're going to focus in on key on as far as future episodes, mm-hmm. um, give everyone a little bit of a tease on what, Ooh, what might be coming down the pipe. Um, <laughs> and then in turn, I'll do the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think one of the things that I really want to focus on when when we're looking at, uh, at future episodes here is going to be underwriting the complex deals. I think that when it comes to underwriting a really easy deal, it's something that most brokers in Canada are able to do yep. and do effectively. I think that where, where I'd like to double double click on um, would be more on what are all the net worth programs in Canada? What does every bank do, including the the lenders outside the broker channel? That's right?
0: So that's so important. Cause even when I was underwriting, half of my underwriting life I had no clue. Yeah. Right. And then I got with some of the bigger guys and then I had to get a clue. Yeah. So if anyone's trying to be an underwriter in the future or have business outside of the broker channel, I think knowing those three, four, five, six options is going to be super important.
1: It's huge. You got to know your competition. And and let's be let's be honest here. You don't want your realtors feeling like they have to pre-underwrite a deal and then know if they got to send it to a banker or a mortgage broker, you know? You just want to be positioned as the one-stop shop. I know you got to give three names. But I've got three people on my team, yeah. you know, or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> so figure out a way of saying, "Hey, look, I'm your one-stop shop. You're going to send me send me all of the business, and I'm going to be able to get it done wherever it ends up. If it's best fit with RBC, then I've got a contact or two there, and I'm going to connect your client, and and it's going to get done. So you call me first, and I'll pre-screen it, and then I'll know if we're doing it or if I'm referring it out. So, uh, doing deals outside the broker channel because of the nature of of working with investor clients, the underwriting is so complex. The number of deals that I do outside the broker channel probably about 15 to 20% of my funded deals instead of Green Mortgage are actually outside the broker channel wow. and fee-based. You know, it's it's a crazy, crazy number. Um, so it's it's something that we've gotten really good at. So net worth deals, corporate net income deals. So how to read the corporate financial statements and know what you're using there and then what the different lenders will use and how to follow it. And sometimes it gets really complicated with following the money through different, uh, different corps. Uh, I want to talk about small business lending. I think that that's an important one. It's a really, people talk about commercial. They never talk about small business. Well, where does small business fit in that that scheme of things, right? Right in
0: between there, right?
1: Exactly. Just a
0: little sliver. Just a a little sliver. But it's an important one.
1: It is. And it's a lot easier to get certain deals done there than it is to try on the commercial side. Um, There's some tips and tricks we'll talk about on that. Um, private lending um, and uh, some tips and tricks on how to get your private lending deal assessed and and approved and and how to, how to work through that process. I do want to talk at some point about the Smith Maneuver, um, which is basically how to make your mortgage on your residence tax uh, tax deductible. I think that's a really important key is understanding how to set that up and structure that properly and how to coach your client on how to do that. And obviously, we'll be talking about, you know, getting some of the, the top speakers on to talk about their underwriting practices, their systems, um, their sales approach. I really want to talk about marketing because a lot of different people have different marketing approaches. You know, Green Mortgage's marketing approach was public speaking and database marketing and basically rolling that all up into an educational-based marketing program or system. But different different people have different uh, approaches. Some people are saying... I am the. Uh, I have everything that uh, that realtors are looking for, and focusing on that. And green mortgage never really made it a huge focus to be, you know, the number one landing spot for a realtor to deliver for other clients. Um, that wasn't our positioning. It was more on, hey, we're the best for real estate investors to to work with. And so there's all these little nuances with uh, with marketing strategies and game plans, and and building a team. I think that's really important. Who do you hire first? What is their role? Who do you hire second? And then how do you continue to kind of set up that business, because I think it's really difficult. A lot of people want to hire help, but they don't know how to do it. Uh, what what do I pay them? What are the options for paying them? How do I find these people? You know, there's a lot of things that we will go into on, on that for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great. And just so everybody knows, I'm going to be representing the underwriters on this side when he's talking about how much to pay the underwriters. Um, so <laughs> so uh, rest assured that I'm going to be keying in on that one. But mostly for me, what I wanted to do is I kind of wanted to take a little bit of a, a more baseline level with, um, with everything involved in the broker world. So I kind of wanted to start at the beginning because we know lots of the listeners aren't going to be all the other super high producers in the country. There's going to be people who are just starting. Maybe they're one year in, maybe they're two year in and they're too embarrassed to ask, right? That's something that I get all the time is Justin, I, I've been in for five years and I still don't know how to read a to you in general right? How do I read a T1 general? So those type of things are what I really want to key in on. Um, How to read a T1 general, how to track down payment funds, right? Rental offset, rental ad back. What was that? The OSFI changes that just came up. I know that's going to be something that we're touching on in future episodes. Um, One thing that I think is super important is how to talk about interest rates, right? Mm -hmm. How do you talk about interest rates when everybody and their grandmother knows all there is to know about interest rates, right? (laughs) Everybody says, well, my mom or my dad told me it's a variable. Well, if they told you that within the last six months, it's probably the wrong advice. So how do you get that along the lines of not sounding too forced, but still being educated on, for example, where the interest rates came from, right? So we all know you get a fixed rate, you get a variable rate, you're one, two, three, four. Um, That's all well and good. But uh, can you let everybody know how fixed rates and variable rates are formed and where they come from? I can,
1: because I'm a nerd.
0: Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) So- you know what's interesting too, Justin? I have a, there's a lot of brokers that have been broken for at least a few years and they don't actually know how rates are determined. Yeah. They say, oh, the Bank of Canada or the government, et cetera. It's like, kind of, but that's not actually the real answer here. So I remember my journey and it actually, for, this, for me too, it actually took me until year, I think four or so before I actually was able to, uh, to articulate and understand this better. And it was a uh, guy named Brad Checknita. For those of you that have been around for quite some time, Brad uh, at the time was working with a company called Macquarie Financial, which we did a lot of business with. The, still got trailer
0: in, fees from Macquarie yeah. for a long time <laughs> after they closed.
1: Right? <laughs> so 2012, I think it was, 2013. I was like, I really need to understand this. And he started to uh, to point me in a couple of different directions. And, and from there, I started to really self-learn this. But it's important to understand that fixed rates and variable rates are, are based on different components in the marketplace, the Bank of Canada does not set the fixed rates. They influence it, however. Okay. So, so if you wanted to get a really easy way of understanding where, where rates are heading is you follow the five-year bond yield and that five-year bond yield, Canadian bond yield, is going to tell you where fixed five-year fixed rate money is heading. So typically what the banks do, and this is going to help kind of understand the framework, banks will lend out money to you and me. And then they'll bundle up those mortgages and then they'll sell off the bundle of mortgages. And it's called uh, securitization. Um, and basically they're offering offering—they're uh, aff- offering the real estate as the underlying collateral behind all of this debt. Now, this is actually, you might be thinking, isn't that what caused the subprime crisis?
0: That's what I was thinking, Kyle.
1: <laughs> really? No. <laughs> Justin, you're a bad liar. You're a terrible liar. <laughs> so, <laughs> So... What ends up happening, and what ended up happening, I guess, in the States, was that they were bundling up mortgages and selling them. And they called these uh, uh, CDOs, actually, and Collateral Debt Obligations. Okay? Don't need to get too uh, technical with it. But they would be bundling up and selling the debt. And the, the reason that the subprime crisis actually happened is because international investors were saying, We love this. This is great. This is all rated AAA. Which we'll get into in a second. Um, this is all rated AAA A, and the returns are awesome. We want more of this, and so they kept saying, "Give us more, give us more." So that would filter all the way down down to the bottom, the uh, bottom ranks in the branches, and then the branch manager would say, "We want more deals. We need to fund more deals. We have people that are willing to buy the bag in the back back end. So figure out how you can do more deals." And and so what ended up happening is they'd call people back and they'd say. Hey, I know I told you you don't didn't qualify last month, but we got this new ninja mortgage, you know, available for you. And what's a ninja mortgage, Kyle? <laughs> no income, no job. Yep. And it was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, crazy, right? Yeah. So, interestingly, we, I remember hearing that back in the U.S. before the subprime crisis, if their default ratio was below four percent, so if less than four percent of their borrowers were defaulting they would be told to push more money out the door. Now, to give you some perspective, during the subprime crisis, the default ratio in Canada was like 0.5. 0.5. So like an eighth of what it was down in the US before the subprime crisis. And the reason that they're pushing it out was because they're bundling up the mortgages and selling them out the back door. Like they weren't the ones holding the bag anyways. And and in the US, mortgages, you can literally just hand the keys back and walk away. There's no recourse back uh, back in the day anyways. And so interestingly, it's that whole mechanism of bundling up mortgages and then selling them is actually how mortgages are funded in Canada. Back in the 80s, it used to be savings and loans, and it would just be primarily the bank would lend out however much money they have in savings. So whatever they have in GICs and in their bank accounts is what they would lend out on the mortgages on the other side. Is that similar to how a credit union does? Uh, credit unions also will sell sell and collateralize mortgages, but not as much. And so they they have that as a funding source, but it's a smaller percentage. The big banks, see so the big banks, when they have that kind of size and scale, it's a lot easier for them to find buyers of their bundles of mortgages. And in fact, this this is one of the reasons why when the whole subprime crisis collapsed, the government of, of bo- in both U.S. and Canada kind of had to step in and say, okay, in order to make sure the money keeps moving, we need to offer more security. And so CMHC actually said, we'll buy more mortgages from you. We'll insure more mortgages for you so that it's easier to sell it. Because now international investors say, well, if it's insured by CMHC, then I'll buy the bundle. Sure. Right? And so if you look back at the charts, CMHC's book of, of how many mortgages they were insuring in Canada had started to spike and skyrocketed. Um, and then somewhere around 2016, they started saying, you know what, we're insuring a lot of mortgages in Canada. We're like in bed with the, the housing market in Canada. And that means that therefore every individual of Canada is in bed with the housing market in Canada. And so they started to kind of taper that off. And that's actually why in 2016, we saw the stress test come out, but at the same time too, for brokers that were brokering before and, and uh, are brokering now, that's when all the insured but insurable stuff started to come out. And in the back end, it never was really a thing that affected pricing in the past, because uh, it was really easy to, to take all of these conventional loans, turn around, get insurance on the bundle, and then just sell it off. Because CMHC was willing and able to just insure all these bundles, no problem. They call it bulk insurance. And CMHC's portfolio you would expect would be like a high loan to value. Their their overall portfolio is like 55% or so loan to value. Because even though they're doing a lot of the high ratio, 95% financing stuff, there's a ton of bulk insurance that happens in the back end. But CMHC said, okay, we need to stop doing that for, you know, amortizations over 25 years. We need to stop doing it for homes over $1 million, which man, it sucks when you're in Vancouver yeah, or Toronto, et cetera. Anymore, it's yeah. so crazy that they have not raised that limit since 20, I think it was 2012 they came out with that rule. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff that, um, that they haven't done. But now, the, now that you understand the framework of how the money comes in and goes out, banks are lending up money, bundling it up, securitizing them, and selling them off. That means that if an international investor can buy a bundle of mortgages or can buy a bond... Those are really similar asset classes, which means that if the bond market, the bond yields are going up, then that means that mortgage rates have to go up to still attract the money. So imagine if you're an issuer of bonds and you have a, a, a lineup of people going out your door, you could say, you know what? I have a lot of demand for my bonds. And so, therefore, I can actually lower the yield I'm um, offering on my bonds. And some people will leave the lineup, but I'll still be able to raise the capital they I'm looking for. So governments raise money by issuing bonds. That's actually how the printing presses go burr. You know, <laughs> that, you heard know, that meme, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's the government actually just issuing or, or buying bonds. Um, by issuing bonds or buying bonds, they're moving money in and out of the money supply. And that's how the money supply changes, um, by issuing paper. And literally, if, they're in, or if they want to... um Uh, get money into the system, they'll actually literally just buy a bunch of bank bonds and put the money into their bank account and now money's in the system. And by buying a lot of bonds, if there's high demand for bonds, then it actually pushes the prices up and it pushes the yield down. So the yield is the return that you get on on a bond. So so high level, that's how the, the fixed rate system works. So if somebody asks me, where are fixed rates heading? I pull up my five-year bond chart and we'll put it in the show notes as well for the five-year bond chart that I typically use. The actual link to the Yeah, yeah, I just go to investing.com. There's a Canadian five-year bond yield. It's the easiest way of getting a proxy for where interest rates are heading. And if you wanted to understand where the shorter-term fixed rates, we've observed this recently where short-term fixed rates have had a lot more movement than the longer-term rates have, et cetera. Um, But you can also check the shorter-term rates to get an idea of where short-term money is heading. because if If they're issuing a one-year fixed rate mortgage, then that rate has to be comparable to a one-year bond, right? So then the only other thing that you need to know is when they determine the pricing is what is the amount that they add to the bond rate to accommodate for for their risk, for their profit, for servicing, and all that stuff. So in general, if you add about one point. Forward a 1.8% on top of the the five year bond yield, that's approximately where a five-year fixed rate mortgage is being priced. And usually in the lower end, 1.4, it's probably an insured mortgage, 1.8, it's probably an an, an uninsurable mortgage. And the reason that you see the difference in, in pricing there for insured or insurable versus conventional, it's it's a lot easier for a bank to sell off a mortgage with an insured and backed by the Canadian government. And guess what? If it's an insured mortgage, the borrower pays the insurance premium. And so that makes it a lot more of an effective tool for for the banks to use to sell it. If it's insurable, then it's still easier to sell it off, and you don't need to put as high of a price on it. But at the end of the day, the bank is paying for the insurance premium or the lender, and that's why the rates are a little bit higher than insured, unless it's at 65% loan-to-value or less, in which case the insurance premiums are very cheap for the bank to get insurance. And then you have conventional, which is very hard to to sell off. And in the back end, when you deal with all the non-bank lenders, usually what ends up happening is the major banks are buying uh, conventional mortgages off of the non-bank lenders. And so they're usually getting their money from some of the big banks in Canada. So First National I don't know if they want me saying this on online because they usually want to keep their investors close to the chest. But I think it's fairly common knowledge that a lot of the money comes from TD in Scotia. MCAP, a lot of their money comes from BMO. Uh, CMLS, I believe, gets a lot of money from RBC, etc. So all these banks will will buy bundles of mortgages from the non-bank lenders. And that's actually why you see that the non-bank lenders tend to change their guidelines and policies a bit more frequently because their investors might be changing. And also their their investors, i.e. the banks buying these bundles of mortgages from them, might say, you know what, we only want this much of this type of product or this type of mortgage right now. And so they kind of change it and move it around. So... That's a really long uh, history. Just and we only talked about fixed rates so far. That was yeah. so.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna pipe in for a second just to keep on my my new agents that are gonna be listening. Yeah. I need a one word answer from you. Um, when bonds go up, fixed rates go.
1: When bond yields go up, correct. Fixed rates go up. And vice versa. Yep. Vice versa. At about 1.4 to 1.8 percent on top of it. That's generally where the rates are are, are heading. Perfect. So if you watch the bond chart, and I usually pull it up every day or every two days. If I notice that there's a bit of a spike in the bond market, get ready to send in your rate holds. T- start calling your clients and telling them, hey, I think rate's going to go up pretty soon. You should, you need to get your application into me ASAP so I can get your deal out the door.
0: And I remember this because when I first started, I didn't understand any of this either. But they always ask about it. Where, where did how, how come the rate's going up? Why is everyone else going up right now? What's going on? And I always had a canned speech that got me out of having to explain it. What was it? What was it? It, it was... It? It was If you're ever wondering why rates are doing what they're doing, it's connected to the bond rate. And if you're looking for something to help you sleep tonight, I'll send it to you. Guess how many people have ever asked me for anything? Yeah, none. Yeah, <laughs> So it, it got me out of the conversation, but it also didn't get me more informed. But as you said earlier in the podcast, we never had podcasts Mark, when yeah. I started. So again, being able to reach out and bring in this kind of full circle um, and having a place where people can find this kind of information, I think is going to be
1: super valuable. Did you want to touch on, on variables? I do. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do want to really quickly talk about the... Just an extra little thing to add to the fixed rate conversation. Of course. Number one, with what you're talking about, you have to understand your consumer and the customer that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. When I talk to, I, I do, I dove into this deep because I'm interested in it personally, but also my investor clients want to be educated. That's important for them. Absolutely. A homeowner is just like, get me through this mortgage process so I can own my home, please. I want to get... know my
0: rate. I yeah. want to know my payment. <laughs> exactly, and right. And I want you to not ask me for any
1: more documents. Exactly, right? that's about it. And then investor clients, you're like, educate me. Give yeah, it to me. Absolutely. Slather me up in that bond yield talk. Give it to me, baby. <laughs> One more time. You know, so so that's, I think that's where, it de- depends on the client you're talking to. Engineer types. I know a lot of brokers are like, oh, engineers. I hate talking to engineers. And for me, it's like. I love engineer types. Yeah. They just want to know why. And I can explain the why all day long. And as soon as you do that, they're hooked because yeah. you're the only one that's ever told them why. Everyone you know? else says they're going to send them an email. Yeah. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> I probably stole a lot of your engineer clients you from you, Justin. Yep. <laughs> and your first home buyer is like, Kyle Green just doesn't hold my hand enough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and I will hold that hand all day
1: long. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> So the only other thing I want to mention on the fixed rates is we, you know, we talked about how there's a 1.5 to 1.8% premium above bonds. That can change too. So, in COVID, for instance, the premium above bonds was more like 1.2. And that's because there's so much money in the system and so much, uh, and there was very little risk perceived in the marketplace. So, the overall money supply and, and flexibility and freedom of credit also impacts the premium over top of bonds. And so, that's an important thing to keep in mind too, is that uh, it really depends on the market circumstances. And that's where it's harder to know unless you're really kind of following you know, you're not gonna be able to see this uh, on a chart anywhere saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Unless you're, you know, you can kind of get in a general sense and I might be following some things like the volatility index and a few other things like that that give you an idea of what the the spreads and the future spreads might be coming up to. And if you look at it, then the spreads over top of these bonds in recession time starts to increase because the flow of credit starts to tighten. Sure. So let's talk about variable rates now, because this is also a, a component of that. Variable rates are, of course, priced by the Bank of Canada, which sets the overnight lending rate, and then the lenders set their prime rate. And the prime rate with pretty much every lender except <clears throat> TD <laughs> is 2.2% over uh, the overnight lending rate. So right now we're at 5% overnight lending rate. And then uh, 2.2 above that is 7.2. So Justin, do you know what the overnight lending rate is? Like, what is that? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so the overnight... You, yeah. you caught me off guard on <laughs> I that I got you. One. I you got you. I wasn't okay. ready for that one. No,
0: you weren't. Uh, the overnight <laughs> lending rate... Actually, can I send you an email? No, uh, no. It'll, it'll, it'll be great for if you're trying to get to sleep later. <laughs> I can send it to you if you want it. no.
1: No, no, it's okay. I'm an engineer type. I want to know why, Justin. I want to know why. So the overnight lending rate, the easiest way to understand is that banks lend money back and forth over all the time. And let's say that RBC cashed way more checks that day than BMO did, but they kind of owe each other money at the end of every day. So the overnight lending rate is the rate at which banks will lend money to each other or the government will step in to just lend money overnight to balance the books. Because every day, hey, this many checks were, were cashed. And usually the banks just do it internally between each other. But the overnight lending rate is set as a mechanism to ensure that the books are balanced at the end of the day. And it's money that comes from the government to just balance books every day. Interesting. That's what it actually is, yeah. You know what? I did learn something in college, Justin. You Look did? And that. now,
0: see, I didn't even go to college, and now I learned what you learned. Exactly. So it's that different different <laughs> paths that all come together.
1: Perfect. So the prime rate, obviously, I mean, I think the prime rate is the one thing that people focus on, and probably the thing I don't need to talk a lot about, but if a customer is asking me, or, or if I'm explaining to them how rates are calculated, the, the quick snapshot is the Bank of Canada meets every approximately six weeks to determine if they're going to move the prime rate up or down, I, I don't even talk about overnight landing rate. I'm not going to discuss that with the most clients. I'm just going to say to set the prime rate because there's no point in spending an extra 15 seconds and confusing people, which is, again, going back to communicating complex things to customers in an easy way. If the engineer's like, wait a second, isn't there an overnight? Yes, okay. You're a very smart, intelligent person. Let's talk about it. But for the most part, 95 out of 100 people, you just talk about the, the government sets the prime rate. And then they're sending that and it's based off of Macroeconomic factors like the dollar, like the imports and exports, the growth rate, the inflation rate. And obviously, right now, we know it's all about the inflation. That's why interest rates have risen so much. Uh, But it's all of these factors that government's trying to dial, you know, move those dials and keep the economy in a nice, safe, comfortable target zone, right? And so that's what they're doing. And on top of that, You don't just have the prime rate because you're getting, if it's a mortgage, usually it's prime minus. And if it's a line of credit, it's prime or prime plus, right? So you also have the premium or discount attached to the prime rate. And this is the one that, it's actually very difficult. Even some of the smartest people don't have a easy way of, of describing, explaining how this is calculated. But it's effectively triangulated via a number of different things. And so they're looking at And one of the easiest ways to look at it is it's the difference between government-issued debt and privately-issued debt or commercial debt is what we call it. Okay, So if I'm a bank or a company issuing debt, what is my cost compared to what the government-issued debt's cost is? So as an example, in COVID... Money was moving around so much, right? And so I do say that in a a way, it's kind of tied to the money supply and increases to the money supply because generally the more money there is, the smaller the gap between commercial debt and, uh, and government debt is. And that smaller gap represents a deeper discount on a variable in general. When we see things tighten up, uh, as an example, like in the subprime crisis, for those that are around back then, we actually went to prime plus 0.8 was kind of the standard interest rate across the board. I you know, when we had COVID happen, we went from prime minus like 0.6% to like prime and then prime plus 0.2, like almost overnight. It was crazy. And so these movements are, you know, going back to us, I touched on a little bit on the fixed rate side. It's It's the spread. And the spread is based off of the volatility index, is based off of, of the freedom of money flowing around the difference between commercial paper and government paper. But even if you ask really smart people, it's really hard to like, nail that down and say how exactly are variable rates calculated. And, and so that's not an easy thing to just pull up one chart and say, Oh, here you go. Here it is Uh, much more difficult to to understand where the the discounts off primer heading, I think it's easier. Well, Okay, the last two years maybe hasn't been easy to predict the prime rate, (laughs) but in general, easier to predict the prime rate than it is to predict the changes in the discounts off of prime. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. super interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. So on the podcast, we wanted to put in another episode that we haven't talked about yet. That's called Back in the Day is what we wanted to do it on. (laughs) And what we wanted to do is kind of reflect a little bit on what has happened in the past and not necessarily in like pre-COVID, but we're talking like you know pre 2008 uh, pre 2001 even so today i just wanted to pick up on on the interest rate talk that we were doing as well so before all this kind of stuff happened and rates were so determined by insured and insurable and conventional right where rates really are different depending on and now they're actually different depending on the client and the credit and the loan to value back in the day they were not no how did you how did you cross that bridge when a client said hey what what interest rate am I able to get? Because I know now it's like, well, I have to get you, I need an application. I need your credit history. I need to, you know, give me your letter of employment and your pay slip. Then I could pull your bureau. And are you going to go to a big bank? Are you going to go to someone who does insurable or insured? Right. There's so many questions and so many variables that come along with that. What rate can you get me question um, that I just kind of wanted to have you touch on from your expertise, at least back, back before all that kind of craziness started to happen. How did you have, how did you have rate talks?
1: yeah, well, I guess there's two parts to that equation because if somebody called you and asked you what the best rate was, I could actually tell you what the best rate was that day.
0: Right off the bat, right? It was check so first easy. lines,
1: check first lines rate <laughs> sheet. Here's the best rate. Yeah, done, you know. And it was just one rate. It didn't matter whether it was insured or insurable or whether it was a rental property or it was this program or that program or anything like that. And again, the the reason the reason it was like that, Justin, because the flow of money didn't matter. So, we actually didn't talk about this, but like when the, those mortgages were bundled up before the subprime crisis, those CDOs, they called them, were sprinkling in a bunch of AAA mortgages with junk mortgages mm-hmm. in between. So, it didn't matter whether it was a junk mortgage being priced and, and placed or whether it's a AAA. They got the same pricing because they were getting put into the same bundle where the pricing was the same, right? Nowadays, however, banks have all of these different things that governments are saying, hey, we need to make sure that. Only a certain number of of your uh, mortgages can be non-conforming on your books. uh, You'll find the credit unions in particular that come in and out, in and out on investor financing, so rental properties. They say, oh, we've hit our targets. Now we're backing off. We changed policies. We changed the rates. And oh, now we have money again. Okay, we're back in it again. The banks do this to a certain extent, but they have much bigger books. And so it's easier for them to, to move it around a lot. But the key was, it was a lot easier to just say, here's the rate you know? Now, that being said, from a sales perspective, you don't necessarily want to just tell them what the best rate is, right? So there's a lot more that goes into that. And I think that that's something that is a much longer conversation, but from a high level perspective, and this would be something we should talk about. We should talk about how do you deal with when when somebody asks you what the best rate was. We're going to save that for another podcast. Too bad. (laughs) Um, but, But really high level, I think that it's important to think about you want to just tell the customer what the best rate is before you get some kind of obligation or some kind of commitment to you, right? So, you know, I would even say, even if I could quote the best rate or what the rate was back then, I would still ask some qualifying questions. Sure. Because I want to understand, well, it depends on what you're what you're doing, even though it really didn't. <laughs> but what are you doing? Okay, great. Have you talked to your bank yet? Or who else have you spoken to about, about the financing? I really actually like that term even today. Who else have you spoken to? Not have you spoken to your bank yet? Because maybe they spoke to another mortgage broker, or maybe they spoke to a different bank, not their bank, but a different bank. You're kind of opening up the door for them to do that. Or if you ask, who else have you spoken to? It's almost like, I know you've spoken to somebody else. Who was it? Yeah.
0: Who was it? It's true. It you know? You a and well.
1: then I get a way better response because then they're more honest and they say, well, I, I talked to this person. Okay, great. So what do they offer you? Because I don't want to waste your time or my time collecting a bunch of documents and doing all that work only to find out that the rate you've been quoted, I would have just sent you right back to that bank anyways. Yeah. You know, and And you're always trying to position yourself in the driver's seat. I would have sent you back to that bank anyways, makes it seem like you would have Done the right thing for them and sent them back there, as opposed to, oh, you would have, have had me beat. It's a very different way of approaching that. And so I think the words that we use is really important, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I agree for sure. It's like like the talks when transfers come up right? And, and they automatically say, what are what are your rates and what are you, you going to give me? And you always want to make sure that they get a quote from their bank, their existing mortgage lender first, right? To put you on the better foot. So now that you're not the one who's being reactive, you're being proactive in regards to getting that rate first and then being able to come back with hopefully a better rate or a similar rate. Um, but as far as like rate adjustments and what goes, I just wanted to touch back on the, before we wrap this up, I just wanted to touch on the, the back in the day thing, because back in the day, we actually had more power to n- get a rate Modified, yep. I found right without having to buy down with our commissions, without having to you know do anything else to get that three four nine to three four five to be able to compete with them, we could actually call. And it was those relationships that either the broker owner or that broker had with the existing lender that said, "Hey, Bill, remember we went out for <laughs> beers the other night, right? Yeah. And yeah. I have this and this." And you you know nine out of ten times, when Diana, who was my mother in law and my broker owner when I started, um, she made that phone call. Right, and instead of beers, it was probably hang out and had some cigarettes. Right, that's just <laughs> what happened back then. Yeah, and it was that relationship that got formed that allowed them to get that rate down without any buy down, without any this because there was that little bit of little bit of buffer that they must have built into the rates um, at that point. That I I don't know about you guys, but I don't I don't see that as much anymore. Now it's a uh, if you want it bought down, then you have to buy it down.
1: Pretty much, yeah. There's there's certain points, and I will say as a when you do a certain amount of business, there is a a certain element of that, Sure, you know, some of the banks will look at it. And we've been able to get that done with Scotia on certain deals, not lately a whole lot, but certain deals sometimes, and certain lenders are a little bit more inclined to do that. But, uh, but a lot of others are are not, you know, and usually the best way to position that is, hey, we're, it's not before you send in the deal, it's actually after you've sent in the deal, and you're basically file complete. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to lose this deal. Can you can you work with me here on that? And usually it helps if it's kind of a meet in the middle thing. Yeah. I'm going to bite on part of it. You guys come down the other part, and let's meet in the middle. It usually isn't going to work if in in today's world where you say, "Hey lender, I need you to come down ten bips, and I want to get full commission still." Yeah, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm
0: not going to work. No, in today's you're going to met with a little bit of a brick wall on that one most of the time.
1: Exactly. But, yeah. yeah.
0: No, that's super interesting. But yeah. that's that's kind of all the information that I wanted to cover today, and that I know you wanted to run through as well. This was. Fantastic! I had yeah. fun today.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, looking forward to uh, to the next uh, next episode, and we look forward to educating everybody on you know current events, uh, what's what's timely, what's uh, what's fashionable, but also you know we will be doing some deep dives on some of these important topics on how to build a brokering business. I think that's really important, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next episode. Awesome, me too. Yeah, have a great night, everybody. Yep, I know.
0: Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes and happy brokering.